This is the Pilgrim's Digress on Chapter 3. We are the Pilgrims in question. I'm Zach. This is Mr. Sagacity, uh, also known as Joey Sags. Uh, Joey in Sags. Informal settings. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we are here to talk about the third chapter of the Pilgrim's Progress. We've got the, this is the sound of the scriptures printed out. Um, you want to hear an interesting story? Because we were worried this might go too long, so let me tell you an unrelated anecdote. Yeah. When I was in college, I, I was getting a, a Bachelor of Arts in Religion before I went to seminary, and so you had to learn about, you know, like in religion class at my son's Christian school, they only talk about like the one religion, the one religion even though I call it religion class. Yeah. But uh, we had to learn about all sorts of different religions. So in a, in a class where I was studying Judaism, I, I we went to a uh, synagogue. Very, very fascinating stuff. I would actually think it would be worthwhile maybe to, to do again with, with a group uh, in, in kind of studying that stuff. Afterward, I got to meet with the rabbi there, and I was writing a paper, and he gave me photocopies of some articles written in like some kind of rabbinical periodical, and he said, when you're done with these, you have to bring them back to me because okay. they have God's word on them and God's name on them in Hebrew and they can't just be recycled or thrown away. These things have got to be uh, properly disposed of or just refiled. Wow, it's actually kind of cool. I thought that was so cool. And I was just thinking, because I, like, I printed this out and I printed the yeah. same thing out for you. And we're, just, we're going to recycle it afterwards. I wonder how that relates, though. Once you get into a brave new world of, you know, all these things people are reading on their phones... Mm. Can you delete the file? Like, I don't want to, I'm seriously not trying <laughs> yeah. to be sacrilegious. Like, I mean, are there, are, are they updating these kind of rules or I'd see the difference, you know, having mm -hmm. th the idea of like God's word in a trash can with coffee grounds on top of it. Sure. I hate that so much. Yeah. Anyway, so we're going to talk about chapter three. Uh, and listen, I have been, of course, taking all the stuff from later in the book where faithful says, Hey, let me like bullet list my whole journey mm -hmm. all at once and not even give you time to digest it. And I've been, I just basically took an outline of the first part, the first three or four stages or whatever, before mm -hmm. he meets up with Faithful. And I put in everywhere where Faithful would have to go. And this was so providential, I think, because the the way it broke up wound up being simultaneously one pilgrim being sent to and going to the law. Mm, well, the other right. guy, not quite yet a pilgrim, but already convicted, the law comes to him. So one of right. them is already on the narrow way. He tries to go to the law and it doesn't work. But the other one, the law comes to him and is like, you have to go. Right. And pushes him out on his way, which, um, so it's like the proper use of the law and the improper use of the law or vice mm -hmm. versa. Right. Um, and I think it turned out perfect to have this kind of thematic overarching thing within the one episode. Danny yeah, sounds really cool. I'll say that. Who's that? Moses. No, not not Part any spoilers for anybody. This is the first time that anyone in Christian fiction um, has pulled a gun on Moses. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I know you know how I did that. You you flip the the uh, the audio backwards. Uh, yeah. Put some reverb on it, oh, and then flip it again. So the reverb yeah. is actually at the beginning. It's an old uh, trick to make things sound spooky. So let's start with the beginning, though. So it begins with. Um, the idea of faithful in the town, the city of destruction, while everyone is going crazy. This is something he mentions uh, in passing later in, in the in chapter 18 in one of my versions that breaks it into chapters. As they're walking through the enchanted ground, he tells him this happened and that Pliable had become just a byword to everyone. And right. they said he's a turncoat and hang him. And he never mentions if they did or not. And right. we leave that up in the air as well. What do you think this represents? You know, this idea of... It becomes a big to-do, a big fervor, but nothing comes of it other than anger, maybe, and lashing out. It's weird because I can't think of a, uh, a place in which this happens in the world other than that everyone can kind of unanimously agree that they don't like where they are, that things mm -hmm. are wrong, that there are problems, um, and everyone has their thing to turn to to fix it. But, I mean... Especially with Pliable's case, him being hated for returning um, is interesting to me. See, to me that seemed odd, but Spurgeon says that's always what happens in his portrait on this section. And but it, I guess I guess I'm not I'm not all up to date with 
maybe 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 celebrities and who's a Christian and who's not. But I feel like if someone makes a leave of something, it's normally looked at as a good thing. This is a good thing. It's a good thing that they turned back. It's a good thing that they came back to us. Mm. Um, and it and it's and it's and it's more celebrated than you know you know you know in, um, maybe the world's more depraved than it was in the 17th and 19th centuries. That's well. That's that's also very very possible. Where you know if you're dealing with a um, even if it's like a secular Christianity, if that's still the primary thought of the land, mm-hmm. that general Christian morals are good, um, then someone who attempts to make the change only makes it uh, a day, you know, uh, as they're pointing out, and then turns back. Um, maybe they would be pushed out a little more. Uh, but but it seems like he would have been part of that general civil religion already, right? Pliable. He probably already attends the church. Right. He's already, just like everyone is kind of comfortably a little religious, but he leaves as this kind of fanatic on this, I am leaving behind. So as a Puritan, essentially. Right. Um, and his return then just brings scorn upon him. Like you, he, he's seven times worse than if he'd never left. Right. Now, spiritually, that makes perfect sense to us. And that's the first text here right. uh, on, in our, in our list um, that that uh, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my home from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. That's Matthew twelve forty three to 45. And it's easy to see from a spiritual point of view the, the truth of that. Um, you know, that kind of outward reform without inner, inner actual regeneration does leave you worse off or, you know, kind of tasting of the things or well, a, even a that little Hebrews bit. Hebrews 6, yeah, situation where it's impossible to then, again, restore this person. Don't um, steal our thunder from next week in the interpreter's uh, yeah. house, though. I won't do that. But from a worldly point of view, like, yeah, I, like you, I found that a little bit hard to connect with. Spurgeon actually says, um, I... I'm thankful to the world for this kind of work that they hmm. lay on their blows, and I hope they keep on doing it to right. shame people who go out and then and then come back. And it's to me that was odd, and the very notion was strange that that the world would despise you for turning back, even after they had despised you for going out. Hmm. I guess it makes sense that the world is going to maybe even the the despising takes the form of kind of smug. See, I told you there was nothing to this. Right, that could be it. Yeah. Uh, like like a, a, a mockery. Um, and, and I could see somebody, I mean, so in your case, you, you mentioned a couple weeks ago or a couple months ago, or I don't know how long this thing's been going, uh, mm-hmm. that you, some of your friends were very, very against yes. your going on. Had you come back, I'm sure they would have been relieved, but do you think you also would have, they would have busted your chops pretty significantly? Um, yeah, you know, probably, probably, especially at that time. When I being being a brand new convert was a little more brazen, was a little more. Mm. Um, They'd be like, "Didn't you wish you hadn't burned all those yeah, CDs?" Yeah, now? Bur- burn all the CDs. You know, you know, you know, burn bridges. Done. You mm-hmm. know, um, with uh, with certain people, and yeah, you know, you know, kind of, kind of use that. See, I told you, following Christ was foolishness. Uh, like it is to us Greeks or us, you know, you know, uh, pagans, it's complete and utter foolishness. And I told you this and you didn't listen to me and I'm smarter than you. And, um, next time maybe you'll listen. Yeah, but not, you know, it, it, I, I don't think it would, it would have made me kind of like a, a social outcast though, you know, which we seem to be doing to, you know, uh, pliable where, you know, he has no home. Nobody wants to do business with him anymore. Yeah. He, he can't. He can't. He can't come back to any of this. He's no longer the seventh or eighth right, most well, eligible bachelor <laughs> from the fifth. He was from the fifth. <laughs> the to, slow, yeah. slow yeah, decline. Yeah, slow decline. Yeah. Now, did you say complete and utter foolishness or complete nutter foolishness? Complete and utter. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because because I've heard the word nutter as like a, uh, a synonym for like loony. Oh. So what that could be clever. Way? That could have been clever too. Could've I been. said that one. It wasn't. Uh, so when they, they corner him, they say, hang him. He's a turncoat. And, mm. and, uh, as faithful tells Christian on the road, God had stirred up his enemies to make him a proverb. 
Uh, Jeremiah 29, 18 to 19, I will pursue them with sword, famine, and pestilence, and I will make them a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth to be a curse, a terror, a hissing, and a reproach among all the nations where I have driven them. Because they did not pay attention to my words, declares the Lord, that I persistently set to you by my servants, the prophets, but you would not listen, declares the Lord. The notion that God's people do become a byword to the nations when they disobey there's a tension in the Old Testament of one thing that seems to kind of work with God, and this is God revealing himself, obviously not being convinced of things or talked out of things, but one thing that seems to work with Joshua or Moses is to say, hold on, if you do destroy your people right now, right, the, your name will then be slandered among the nations and they'll say, this God wasn't powerful enough to save these people. Right. What will you then do for your great name? And then there's also on the other side, this idea that God says to them, I will make you a byword among the nations. It's not mm. going to reflect on me. Right. Your disobedience is doing this to you. And I think both things might even be a little bit at play in, in this chapter of the Pilgrim's Progress. I guess if, if it, we are to believe it's God who makes this, I don't know, I feel bad. I do feel bad for Pliable. Hmm. Uh, and, and you know, when, even even though, uh, and this is uh, my own invention, but even though he, he turns on him, uh, Faithful, who's trying to save him, and says, right. kill him. Um like, I don't know, there's just some, like, sad, anyone who's, like, completely ostracized. And I think Jesus automatically went to those people, right? Like, he went to the lunchroom with his tray and sat at the table with, like, <laughs> the outcast, right? Right. Just metaphorically speaking. Yeah, yeah. And yet there is a proper uh, making an, an outcast, making a reproach, making a hissing or a curse of the people who rejected the Lord. Hmm. This is stuff we don't preach on today, and I don't know how well it applies in, in, in our lives in the New Covenant setting. Yeah, that's a good point. Bunyan thought it did, clearly. <laughs> right. Spurgeon thought it did. Hmm. And I don't know, I, I don't, I can't get on, I can get on board with 95% of what Spurgeon said. Usually it's just being like bah humbug about Christmas or not going to the theater right. that, that, that trips me up. But when he said, I wish they would be all the more like ruthless with their attacks on these hmm. people who went out and came in. I don't, I don't know why. Why? Like, I think you're very nice. <laughs> I think that's a... I'm probably nicer than Spurgeon. Yeah, probably. I, I mean, Spurgeon seems, he looks, when he smiles, he's got a very kind smile. He's, it's kind in the eyes. Yeah. But in 90% of the pictures, I guess probably this is just a function of the age in which he had to sit perfectly still when they photographed you. But he looks very grumpy. And like, he's like, if a child walked by, instead of being like, hey, how you doing there? He'd be like, get out of the frame. Get a picture <laughs> taken. <laughs> or, well, yeah. Or that, or that getting a picture is a waste of time. And I could be doing something better. With he my probably time, was I could be ministering to that mind. child. Yeah, right. I could be. Yeah. Um, so I think you're very nice. I mean, I think that I think that social pressure can definitely be, a, you know, used to turn that person back around, even potentially towards the gospel. Mm. You know, where the grass is always greener. Pliable turns around and says, "Well, I'm just going to go back to my situation. Everything will be like it was." Goes back to a situation, and everything is seven times worse. Mm -hmm. And now, now I'm really in a pickle. And the only thing you don't know is how Christian's doing. You can assume how Christian's doing, right. but the only thing you don't know is how Christian's doing. And this being allegory, of course, he could probably still pliable the actual man, open the door, look across the street, and see how Christian is doing. And he has peace. And even though he's struggling, he's not seven times worse. He's in the exact same position as he was. Sure, that, you know... Actually, it's better than the last town. time we saw him. He's out of the slough. Sure. Right. Right. And, you know... Uh, the town is still struggling with it. The town still hates him. You know, his wife is gone out at bars, not talking to him. But uh, he, the man, is in a better position than you. Uh, and maybe that can be something that helps push that person back towards, well, maybe I try again. Maybe I try again, and maybe this time I actually see what's past the slough. Mm -hmm. I actually try and get through it this time. Maybe there is a wrong side for me this time, and it is this side. Um Alexander White had a, a fairly long excursus about how he thinks that... So, so there's, there's two interesting things that happened in the, the extra stuff that I read. Uh, one is that in the same thing about Pliable, Spurgeon says the problem is that his religion is all just internal kind of warmth of the heart, and he needs to hold, okay. lay hold of things that are outside of himself, the cross, etc. Right. This is, whereas Alexander White says the problem is 
that it's all external religion mm-hmm. outside of himself, and it hasn't really laid hold to his heart internally. And I think it's great and perfect that that, that tension there, uh, that both of those things can be done, and the solution isn't either an external or internal religion. It's one that is all-encompassing. Sure. Uh, yeah. the, the other interesting thing was that both Spurgeon and Alexander White in these first few chapters have one thing they think was done wrong. And mm. I think maybe it would be interesting for you and I in, a, in another setting to talk about Spurgeon's, which is he thinks that the cross should be before the wicked gate. Right. I thought it was before the slough, even. There was a fishwife who mm-hmm. said that it should have been right away, mm. um, like before the slough. She mm-hmm. went through the slough, but without her burden on, it wasn't that big a deal. That'd be an interesting discussion. Alexander White says the problem is that pliable shouldn't have a slough, that he's, at this point, there's there's nothing in him that would create the kind of angst or regret. And I think that's off base. Like you yeah. can be still in the flesh, hear hard preaching or read the scriptures and have the beginnings of stirrings of yikes, I, I want to leave something behind, but it's dragging me down and holding me back, right? Yeah, I can think of someone who I was, you know, ministering to probably six years ago now or so who had that, I forget what kind of soil he would be, but um, he, he, you know, like uh, in Jesus' parable, he sprang up right away. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, right away he responded to it. He said, yes, absolutely. These things need to change in my life. These Rocky things soil. need to change yeah. in my life. Right. But, you know, he had no genuine belief or root. Um, and I think that in our society now, we can definitely look around and say um, secular society has plenty of things along with Christianity that would point to and say, this is a problem. You know, like, this is a mistake. This needs to be fixed. You shouldn't be doing this. You know, you know, uh, how many programs out there would point at, even secular programs, would point at something like pornography mm-hmm. and say, this is an issue. This is a poison. Right. Yeah, there's, is- there's a fairly large movement of, of people, on, even on like Reddit and stuff, that have mm-hmm. no interest in the gospel yes. that recognize this is hurting them. And, and there are, there's, you know, some feminist groups that say, you know, embrace this. It's uh, great, but there's a large uh, contingent of secular, yeah. feminist, uh, even left-leaning people who would say this this hurts women, yeah. and we can link arms with them and say mm-hmm. whether or not you're interested in the gospel. Yeah, so that yeah, right. Uh, so so I mean, and 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 I think I think I think some of that is stirred up by some sense of shame mm. because I think that even though these people don't have the spirit inside of them necessarily working, I think I think there is a tendency. There is a tendency inside of people who love the dark. The reason they hate the light is because the light is exposing what's inside of them and they can see it maybe for the first time. So even living alongside of a Christian, you know, you know, helps show them uh, what's inside. So I think you can have this kind of unsaved person still come to this point where they're not, they're not drowning in that shame. It's not, it's not, you know, you know, threatening to bring them down and suffocate them at all and they're not feeling this creature you know you know you know pull them down but it's there they can see it they can see how it could be an issue or it's could potentially be a problem right it's not how i lived back there it annoys them and they can get out when they want right yeah yeah, yeah i don't i don't see the problem uh, i don't think it has to be spillover from from christian's shame right i don't I, I i don't think you have to have the beginnings of regeneration in order to feel some kind of I mean, shame is is universal. And I think that the reason that it's so, this this ironic shaming of shame, <laughs> the reason that it's become such a boogeyman, that, that shame has become kind of the, the problem and the answer has become just banish it. Right. Is because it's universal, it is a, a natural thing. It can be misused by the enemy and often is. It can yes. be misused by, um, you know, overbearing, unloving parents and it often is, but it also has a proper use. Yeah, and, well, and so, you know, there's there's all levels of this. I think if we look at the Pharisees and a lot of their actions throughout the Gospels, a lot of it was probably driven by a want to keep their seats, a want to keep their power mm-hmm. and their position. But I'm imagining some of it's probably driven up by the fact that whenever they tried to enter into any kind of theological debate with Jesus, he would turn it around on them. They'd become the problem. They'd become the issue. And I imagine in some shape or form, they felt that a bit. Yeah, they resented it. They, they resented yeah. it. And it's because it, it brought out in them and in front of other people, shame. 
Yeah. So you say that he doesn't know where Christian is or how Christian's doing. Here's a segue. We do. Right. Because this chapter of the Pilgrim's Progress begins with him approaching the the hill morality where he has been sent to visit upon Mr. Legality or his son's civility. Uh, And they are going to, without all the suffering and pain and discomfort and (laughs) and rottenness, remove this this burden from his back. And then he can call for his wife Mm, and kids. And his family. They can live there. It is a lovely community. Sure. Uh, Houses for sale. Yeah, there's yeah. houses for sale. Very cheap. Very cheap. Uh, unlike anywhere right now. Like, yeah. I mean, is yeah. this hill real? I, yeah. I'll go there and evangelize. Yeah. But even though as he looks up at it, as he approaches it, it seems like no big deal. In Bunyan's text, the moment he looks from the base, like, I'm going to try this, it the, the point of view changes horribly and it mm. begins to almost lean onto him. It reminds me of, this is never referenced as a, a proof text in any of the versions I've looked at, but it reminds me a bit of um, the guys in Revelation calling out for the mountains to fall on them, to hide them from the wrath of God. Right. And yet this is actually the unforgiving, demanding nature of the law. This is Mount Sinai. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is threatening, you know, you think you're going to scale to the top, but like the people at the base of Mount Sinai itself, they all drew back and, and they were like, looking up at the top where there's fire and smoke and thunder and and lightning and saying, Moses, you go up and see what it wants. We're too afraid. And they drew back and they were told, don't touch the mountain or you will die. Right. Uh, but here's, the, here's a text from Exodus 19. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. You know what's cool? The Bible. <laughs> That's the kind of stuff I love, man. Right. Wow. Yeah. Um, so Moses goes up and he gets the law. In this case, he's able to do it because this is part of God's covenant plan. Uh, and the people are going to stand on two different mountains, Mount mm. Ebal and Mount Gerizim, they're going to say the amens and they're going to do the blessings and the curses. We're going to do everything that you have said. And yet they can't. And that's what Christian's going to find out too. That now having set out on the narrow way and being tempted away. So what in your mind, for someone who has already set off on the narrow way, what does it look like in life to be tempted off to the side toward Mount Morality and Mr. Legality? I would say maybe it looks a lot like our Christian culture now which is largely built Ouch. on less on the cross, less on getting to the root of, I don't want to say actual sins, because some of the things fix your anger problem because it's affecting your family and stuff. Mm-hmm. Sure, absolutely. You should you should look into that. But putting your grocery cart away and that being kind of the name redacted definition of Christianity is garbage. <laughs> Mr. Sag telling it how it is. Yeah. Um, Can't cancel me. Because she, she, she doesn't know your name. Yeah. Is, is, that a, is that a real thing? Yeah. yeah Putting yeah. Your, your, your card away is I like a, was, a mark, a measure of your it, sanctification? I think it was in one of like her a million ghost written books. Now, granted, I do think that's a, a measure of whether or not you're a good dude. Sure. And I'm a fan of uh, Putting your, yeah. the uh, Cartnarks. You ever see that? I've never see, never heard that. It's a guy. It's just one guy. Yeah. And he he goes to parking lots with like uh like one of those things like an air traffic controller would use or like sure. or at a mega church like the t- parking attendants. And he has a it's a bulletproof vest on. Yeah. And then like an orange vest over it. Need one. And he sees somebody like leaving their cart and he starts making these siren noises like and then he tells and then they berate him. Uh, and actually, it's it's not that fun because I get all stressed out because usually they're cursing and swearing at him. But uh, he, can I make he, an observation? Yeah, I think that's you in retirement. <laughs> so many of the things you just said appeal to you <laughs> at a human level. <laughs> just base sack, oh, no additives, you know, organic. That's you. <laughs> no comment. Maybe. Maybe I've always I've always pictured my retirement as I would sit on a bench in my backyard with nuts in my hand long enough that squirrels would be comfortable coming up and just taking them out of my hand. You can't argue with the squirrels. 
Yeah. Okay. So I do. I do want to be. Yeah. There's got to be an element. We're assuming there will be stores by the time I retire, but there won't. <laughs> I don't know how we got. Oh yeah, right. Uh, you were you were uh, you were savagely going after a Christian culture. Um, the notion that yeah, cleaning up your life. So so he goes. Uh, Mister Worldly Wiseman goes to church mm-hmm. in that town on that mountain. Right. Um, and he loves to hear the gospel. We're told that saves from the cross. Yes. So what he's hearing is probably a lot of what you would hear in a very lukewarm church today. Here's our new sermon series. It's not on justification. Yeah. It's not on any kind of uh, you know deep or cutting theological issue that's going to really help you in your sanctification or the renewal of your mind. It's on getting out of debt and managing your funds. It's on, you know, we'll, we'll bring a bed out on the stage right. and uh, sit in it and be all cute and coy and talk about your sex life. It's about uh, winning at work, it's et, cetera, about, et cetera, It's about things you already want to do. It's about and that the things, world wants to do. Right. It's about things that the world already wants to do. You already want to be a better person. You already want to I want fix, to manage my time well. Exactly. Yeah. You want to fix these situations. You don't want to look inwardly or hold that mirror up to yourself and, you know, you know, see what, see what you really have going on underneath. You know, you want to keep making the provisions for the flesh. Um, uh, well, you can kind of hide behind and, and, and I think this is just part of being a human Well, you can continue to hide behind easy fixes or things that can, you know, um, my body's a temple, so I'll start a diet this new year and then that'll be how, I kind of reach some form. Like, this is some kind of worshipful act to God. Even though your body being a temple in the text is primarily about sexual immorality, and maybe we don't address that. Right, right, right. I'm still going to look at porn. Or I'm still, yeah, maybe I'll do this with yeah. my girlfriend that I live with, and we'll do it together because our bodies are both temples. And you right. go, hold on, I think you might have missed the, the point of the text because you didn't go deep into the text. You yeah. skimmed along the surface and found things that tickle your ears. And I think we all have that tendency to do. Yeah. Even even those of us who have certain pet doctrines that we love to discuss and think about, there are other things that we don't so much. Yeah, yeah. Um, don't touch this. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I don't like... Well, for example, you and I are, are studying through... We're almost done. First uh, Corinthians, having finished Romans. Uh, and like one thing that I never probably would seek out normally is talking about the gifts of the Spirit. Right. Being a Baptist, being someone who's, you know, wanting to live in this kind of nebulous, I'm not a harsh cessationist, but, you you know, I don't expect to see these things mm-hmm. every week or something. And, and getting into the text and going through books makes you deal with every issue that Scripture brings up. Right. And I think that that is a mark of a solid church often, is it's just going to go through the Bible. Solid. pick books. We're going to do this. Maybe we'll do series, but... the interspersed with teachings right. from the Bible. Exegetical preaching, verse by verse by verse. I'm reading, I'm explaining, I'm not trying to uh, pick, you know, you know, cute games or highlight a word mm-hmm. like, you know, 25 times and say, you see how important this word is? Now, I kind of did do that recently, but yeah. self-deprecatingly. Yeah. Uh, did it, you think that was good? I, I, I was casting vision, which is something I always <laughs> make fun of. And I yeah. found the word cast in like seven things mm-hmm. and made... Uh, I think it can be done well if it has the proper things in mind, if it's trying to get to a place to make a certain point and it isn't to kind of keep butts in seats because, or seats, pews, I'll use your church words. Um, <laughs> your church words. <laughs> Zach gets really sensitive about proper terminology. Did you hear, how, the did you hear the, the poison in my voice when I said stage instead of chancel? Yeah. <laughs> um, where the entire purpose of what you're doing is to, one, make things seem possible to people. I think it can be really discouraging to come to church sometimes and then, or or not even just inside of a church, but to read some of the words of Jesus. And you always, I think, I think if you're being honest with yourself sometimes, you leave going, I can't do that. Right. I can't be there. And that's why he wants you. With, you know, with man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. Where, you know, it's encouraging you to rely more on the cross as opposed to saying, well, that's something that hangs on the wall and that's something that sits on top of the church, um, but it's not something that's going to be in your life. It's not going to be something that's central mm-hmm. um, uh, to what you believe. And the things that you do need to believe is be a better person. Do the things you already want to do. And that can be encouraging. And I think that's why all these people in the town of destruction 
don't have burdens. They don't have a need to leave. They don't even really believe that, right, there's destruction. It's just something to talk about. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really interesting point. It's just something that's out there. It's just a part of the Bible that you can discuss. It's not going to happen, you know, certainly not to you. Uh, and I think that's the pull away towards the, you know, kind of like town of morality is that you can sell this perfect neighborhood. If everyone in that church just does a little better, puts their cart away, you know, we can have these beautiful, nice cities. And if we kind of selectively choose who can be in our church and who can't be in their church by how dirty they are or how, you know, um, make them climb up a mountain that's impossible to get up. And then you can be in here. That's, I think, worms its way into every new Christian's head mm -hmm. is that if I can make this more about doing better and it, less yeah. about dying to myself. Changing my behavior that. because yeah. I don't want to deal with the, the very invasive work, mm. right? I'll go in and have the wart removed because they can numb it and they get it. But I don't want to go in and be put out and have the colonoscopy because that's going to yeah. be looking inside of me and telling me and it's scary and it's invasive and it's awful. Uh, that may have been the worst ever <laughs> illustration. I will not use that from the pulpit. I'll wash the outside of the cup and yeah, not the inside. Yeah, that's better. Jesus came up with that one. Yeah. Though. But uh, yeah, it's very, that, washing the inside of a cup doesn't sound invasive. I think there's something scary about the idea this isn't just going to be surface stuff. This is going into the core of who you are. Right. And what I think is so interesting is, so you've got two guys that go into the slough and hate it. The one gets out on the right side of it, closer to the, the cross, really. Yeah. And the other one gets on the, gets on the other side, the wrong side, and goes back to his old life. The one who gets out on the right side of it still isn't, I mean, he still winds up going, okay, I did the right thing. Oh, and there's a, I, I'm tired now. Mm. I'm, I'm exhausted spiritually. And there's a temptation to go, oh, you know, I heard a, a, a podcast from like one of the top Christian podcasters mm. that basically said, I don't need to deal with all this stuff. I can go a, a route of feel like every day is a Friday, look good, feel good, you know, um, claim it name it, embrace right. it, have it and love it and be a good person. And, and you have that. But at the same time, it, what's interesting is it's the same thing because this is scary, right? Mm -hmm. That teaching's not scary. When you right. get closer and you start looking instead of at, at the hill as a whole in general terms, but at specific laws and, and you get into a different type of preaching, which really just comes in and hammers on mm -hmm. you and is, is is they're both law. One yeah. is law light and the other one is is law heavy that, that puts a burden on you. Neither of them is really helpful, but both of them are a certain temptation, you know, to go and, and, and even with what Luther called the third use of the law. So you have the first use of the law, which was civil use, general use for everybody. Like the reason people, even when they're kind of rioting in the city of destruction, aren't, aren't murdering each other openly is because of this. They'll go to jail. Right. Um, the second use of the law is the one that we're going to see at the end of this episode where the law comes to you and says, yeah. get to the cross or you're in trouble. Yeah. And then the third use is for the believer, hmm. the proper use. So not going to the hill morality, but if I'm preaching, I have to be careful that even after I bring the gospel, if I do this third use of the law, like, okay, in light of this, there are imperatives in the New Testament. There are commands. There are ways we are meant to live. We are commanded to live. I gotta make. I have to be careful not to take away with the left hand what I gave with the right, which is, you know, here's forgiveness of sins. But then, boom, I'm piling more burden back on you. I have yeah. to be careful that I don't leave anyone walking out of the church saying, "Okay, I feel like what do you have for a sinner like me? Mm. You gave all these rules, but what I have to make sure I absolve you, and I'm not doing it myself. The scriptures are doing it, but as yeah. the mouthpiece of the scriptures at the pulpit, that you are absolved of of your sins and leave washed clean empowered, equipped to do this stuff, knowing that when you fall, he will pull you back out of the slough. He will pick you back up, wash you clean, put the sword back in your hand and send you along the, the narrow way. Right. You know, it's almost like later on, there's the, the quag on the one side and right. the ditch on the other. <laughs> yeah. And both of those are law-based. Mm. And in the middle, here is this grace-based stuff that still acknowledges, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Yeah. Uh, and they come out not of you know, an external crushing weight, but a new heart. A genuine want. Uh, yeah. What, what uh, Chalmers calls the expulsive power of a new affection. One of my favorite sermons of all time. Uh, that, so that's the, the, the mountain. Uh, he is very embarrassed at the end, having even gone that way. And yeah. super, he, he, he's, he's hoping no one saw him. Mm -hmm. And the one guy he hopes won't have seen him is the one guy he needs to see right now. And that is Evangelist. 
he comes upon him and he says to him, uh, how, how did you get here? What are you doing here? There he came to a cave. This is first Kings 19 talking about our guy, Elijah, uh, and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 13. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him that said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Uh, I, I actually had fun playing with that Elijah setting, uh, drawing it out a little more with the still small voice and everything. Mm-hmm. But the notion that you need somebody to call you on your scubalo when you get off the narrow road. Yes. Uh, and I don't know if Evangelist is the best guy for this, uh, but he's all he has right now. Because this this is a real right. lone wolf of a, a pilgrim at this point. Well, I, I don't know if you did it on purpose, though, but like it seems like he has like a standing appointment to go mm-hmm. check on Christian. You know, like I yeah. I have somewhere to be, you know, you know I'm worried this, this guy is going to be yeah. maybe in the slough and I need to get him out. Or And, and you know, you had talked last week about uh, like, why isn't he walking alongside him? Yeah. And I think it's because he has so many people so he's many evangelizing. People he's an evangelist. So he's checking in on people because yeah. he still loves them. He's not just handing you a track and saying, there, I did my deed. But yeah, he can't be with them every moment. That's why it's so important to be part of a church. Well, and we'll learn that as the book goes on. You know, the entire, I mean, Jesus sends them out, right, two by two. And mm-hmm. things like, it's always together. You know, like iron sharpens iron. It two are better just, than one. If one yeah. falls down, the other can help him up. Uh, again and again and again, we have these uh, examples throughout the scriptures of the fact that this this life is meant to be alongside people, mm-hmm. right? Eve is created because it's not good for Adam to be alone. Like, it, we, yeah. we are meant to be with other people and around other people and especially yeah in these scenarios and and you're going to see it later on right where where when he does get with people and they're and they're saying well no I think we should stay here I think we should stay on this road yeah. that that looks like a trap to me we should stay on this road if faithful um, or hopeful had been next to him he would not have gone toward that hill or maybe they would have been able to argue for Christian in, in that stance and kind of stand up to Mr. Worldly Wiseman and say mm-hmm. no no I I don't think this is quite right you take yeah, a moment a and pause and think about it before you just... I, I, well, open I, your book. Yeah. Open yeah, your right? book. Yeah, you've got the book with you. What does the book say? Mm-hmm. He's just so kind of beat down and tired. Yeah. And he doesn't... Uh, Bunya doesn't have it being near the end of the day, but I thought that you need more sleeping and, and, and nights and new days. Yeah. Where this whole story takes place over the course of a very short amount of time. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's a good narrative break, too. And to have it be getting kind of late... You know, it's afternoon now. Mm-hmm. I can't make it to that gate. It's still, it doesn't look any closer than it did before, but I could make it a mile to that hill. Right. So I'm not going to check the book. I'm not going to, I'm just going to go with, oh, I'll be convinced. I'll let myself be convinced and, and I'll try it. I'll throw in with this guy and he seems like a nice guy. Yeah. He's got such white teeth on the cover of his books, Mr. Worldly Wiseman. Yeah. That, uh, <laughs> and, and that, that, that million dollar smile just flashing at me from every book cover. Right. Uh, he's got to be telling me the truth. I, I I love that there's no defensiveness on Christian's part. You know, there's no, mm. like, you don't know what I went through. You don't know what that slough's like. He just, he immediately repents. It's brokenness. Yeah, well, and, and, and I think, I think it's important that you showed his continued attempts to get up that mountain because it leaves little, I think, in his mind of, Oh, if there was just something different, if I just had something different, if this variable changed for me, where... One weird trick. Right, right. <laughs> One weird, it, it, if it's morning or if it was like mid-evening or if I had just eaten or if I had, I could have, you know, climbed. And then every single time he realizes that he's fallen a very, very short distance. Right, right. He's I did hardly not, I made it. was nowhere near the top of this yes. thing after he's, hours. He's, he's, he's hardly made it anywhere with his effort where it leaves nothing but brokenness. Because, because you stand and you try and you try and you try. And I think this is really true. I know it was true of me with uh, early on certain sins or like trying to get off of like pornography or something like that. And you have that initial struggle with yourself. You know, I can do this. Uh, it's just a chemical dependence when you break it down at the end of the day, right? It's just a chemical dependence. So I can do it. I can get off of it myself. I can do it all myself. Uh, and you start to try and like climb with your own sins. I can handle them. I can do my own things, you know. Um, I can be less lazy. I can be less angry. Yes. Uh, I can put my shopping cart away. There are life hacks I can do to yes. make this happen. And then part of the humbling effect of the price of the law 
or you know seeing how steep the law and morality really is is that you're going to fall every time mm-hmm. you know you know there's always going to be a mistake and until someone comes back along and says nope you got to get back on that road you got to get you got to fix your eyes back on christ um uh, he'll deliver you from these things it, i think that was an important thing you showed though that like there's nothing left for him but brokenness there's no excuses there's no maybe if you give me a boost mm-hmm. you know and he's feeling uh, sheepish as he yeah. described, you can you can read it in Bunyan's. It, it's so fun how when he gives himself time to mm. kind of uh, tease out some of the, the the scene for us, Bunyan is very good at saying a lot with a little. Mm. Um, whereas you know when you get, yeah, that's the same guy who came to my house and threatened to burn it down, and that's all he says. I'm like, are you right. kidding me? Yeah. You gotta you gotta tell this story. But when he does, like for example, um, as this this lengthy conversation here between Christian and evangelist. He feels foolish and sheepish about it, and he feels broken and shameful and guilty about it. Right. And I think it's noteworthy that in the text, evangelist doesn't just say it's okay. We all fail. We all right. get off the path. We all, all that is true. We do all fail. We all do all wander off the path. He takes a moment to remind him of the severity. Your sin is twofold. Uh, from Jeremiah 2.13, For my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And he says to him, you've, you've walked off the way and trespassed on forbidden ground. Yeah. He doesn't want this to be something that the memory is, I goofed up and someone came and just rubbed my back under my burden or something and said it's okay. <laughs> no, he, he wants this to be a, a moment that he's not going to turn back to. Because as the the words that Bunyan puts in his mouth, uh, yes, you're forgiven, but even so, be careful that you do not turn aside again, for then you may perish altogether when his his wrath is kindled but a little. Referencing Psalm 2.12, kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. The simultaneous blessing and refuge and forgiveness and careful that... You don't presume on God's grace. Like the woman caught in adultery, right? I find no sin in you. Go and sin no more. Yeah. That's the wonderful part about this kind of salvific plan that's been laid out for us is that, is that yes, yes, God is merciful and graceful. He's not going to cast anyone out. He's not going to turn anyone away. But stuff is expected of you. Yeah. You know? Some of that stuff you just said is what you hear preached to the people in the streets to calm them down right. by, by the, the Reverend Smoothman. Absolutely. Uh, saying, don't worry, guys. Remember that God is a God of love. Remember some of Jesus' words. Yeah. He even said, peace, peace. So let me just transition to saying to you, peace, peace. Yeah. Of course, where there is no peace, he's say, speaking peace, peace. Uh, you have to make sure that there's also this understanding of the gravity that God is holy. And, and I think that's the importance of actual biblical counsel, not just having people around you, not just having a pastor who, if they have the ability to find the time for you, um, is just going to counsel you away from, you know, your hard feelings or like away from your sins, like all of these ministers that we've come across so far have been doing. Oh, don't worry about those texts or don't worry about this feeling or you're doing this yourself or, mm-hmm. you know, but like someone who's going to be able to sit down and like a true friend and a true brother or sister is going to be able to like actually go through texts with you and say, yeah, you know, you messed up. Realize why you messed up. I'm going to show you how you messed up. But I can I can preach to you of grace. Yeah. Still, you know, um, there's still forgiveness for you. All manner of sin and blasphemies will be forgiven. Mm-hmm. He doesn't mention because it doesn't seem to be an issue for Christian that the reason we're told that in in Matthew 12 and also I think in Mark and Luke is because there's a, a exception that proves the rule. Mm-hmm. Uh, therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven. Right. And that doesn't seem to be an issue because he's already beyond the he point believes. of unbelief. Yeah. yeah. He's, he, he is not going to be, unless he turned back and went back like Mr. Timorous or somebody hmm. at the thought of the lions, um, he's not going to, to fall into that. So when you tell someone every sort of blasphemy and evil will be forgiven, I think even going back to the Reformation... I think there was even a sort of a proper fear amongst the church as it existed. Careful. You start telling people that they're not going to care how they live. They're going to think, okay, 
grace is cheap. Let me just sin and forget church and forget everything except for I can come back and get grace as I need it. And it's just boom, boom, boom. An antinomian. Yeah, yeah antinomianism, yeah. Nicolaitanism, whatever you call it, is going to be the, the end result. And Luther, pointing to the just will live by faith... Mm. He says that doesn't mean that the just uh, just people are just because they're they're righteous because they're faithful. It means that they're justified and they're they're being given a new heart. They're being renewed, and so I think when someone is um, struggling with having fallen, having sinned, you have to bring both the gravity of the sin uh, and not and be careful not to bring this cheap grace idea of no big deal. God's already covered all of our whoopsies. Right. Instead, you have to you have to affirm with them. <laughs> you know, warm with those who mourn, weep with those who yes, weep. Yeah. You have to weep with them and mourn with them and then say, but there is forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. Mm. One more thing I think is noteworthy is that he does, as you say, bring him through some texts. He doesn't just, yeah. he doesn't try and get cute with it or use churchies or something he read in a, another book. Churchies. <laughs> he says, stand still yeah. and I'm going to tell you the word of God. And he brings him some text and says, do you understand these? Okay, mm. here's another one. Do you understand that one? And then it takes him through sin is, you know, deadly and um, God is holy. And then there is forgiveness for you. And this is a promise for the future for him. He is right. still wearing this burden at this point. Well, it, and and I think that's really shown when he's fighting Apollyon. And Apollyon's like first tactic is to try and like goad him back in. Come here, I'll give you all of this. Uh, the same kind of stuff. He, uh-huh. Same stuff he tried with Jesus. You know, you know, just do this, and then I'll give you all of this because I have the ability to do that. Um, and then his next tactic is to show him his sin. You know, before they fight, look at your sins, and and he's able to tell him exactly how he sinned. You've fallen away. You haven't believed. You haven't... He rehearses the whole thing, like one by one. Yes. And this time, he's able to look inside of himself and acknowledge it is true. Mm-hmm. These things are true. I have done these things, but they're not counted against me. Check my back. You know, you know, the burden doesn't grow back, even though I still... I, I feel the same things that I felt way back when, but they're not held against me. They're not weighing me down. Um, and I think, I think that's the importance of this promise, being able to look forward and say, this is for the rest of your life. This is repeating. This is sanctification. This is what it looks like. And, and I think one thing that's unusual in, in this kind of encounter today is the numbered things that you must hate about what <laughs> the way you've been led astray. Right. Which uh, this, Bunyan does this a good number of times, and I love it every time because I like things delineated. I All like right. <laughs> Yeah. I like bullet points. I like draw your chart. <laughs> yeah. But he says there are three things. And and um, I tried to be cute somehow with uh, this being kind of bookends with uh, Faithful saying, my point is threefold about why you need to quit messing with this religious uh, quest that you're, you're thinking about going on. Uh, you know, it leaves leaves the guy sevenfold worse than before. Right. Um, you're, you're miserable, and mm. yet you're going more and more into the misery instead of away from it. Uh, and finally, you used to be amazing. And it, it, that one wasn't numbered, but that that's, you know, stuff that you, you find him talking about. You used to be a lot of fun. It worked. Yeah? You You're notice cute. it? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it was successfully cute. Yeah, it was successfully cute. Uh, <laughs> the threefold things are far less cute from Evangelist, though. Right. Um, that you must hate his turning you out of the way. You must hate the way he makes the cross repugnant to you or odious to you. I don't remember the word that uh, Bunyan uses. Uh, and, and then you must hate where he sent you, particularly. Yes. And, and what a you know negative way to talk. That you must hate <laughs> these things. Right. That's the message he has for him. I, I know you're going to keep loving God. I need to make sure as you walk away from this hill that you hate these things. And you hate them so much that if someone tries to send you here again, yeah. you're not going to fall for it. Uh, and I think that's a missing part that, that I don't want to say tough love because that's corny. But like the... How many vests are you wearing? You can't say it unless you're... I'm wearing like seven vests. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm wearing no vests, man. Oh, uh, yeah, you can't say it. I man. can't say I can't yeah. say tough love. He, there, there's a severity to it. There's a, an acknowledgement of the gravity of the situation and a threefold, you know, like God is thrice holy. This oh, is right. thrice serious. Yeah. This is, this is deadly. You got to hate these things. And especially think about where he sent you, that last one. You know, this guy that he sends you to has this this unearned reputation for freeing people 
from their burdens. He's never freed anybody. Yes. Not a one. But there, there's this great campaign uh, out there. Some of his his uh, books and products and media, uh, you know, engagements are very, very successful. And so everyone thinks it's going to work. Hate his directing your feet toward morality. Second mm. uh, Corinthians three seven to eleven. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. It didn't take three times for me to say. <laughs> that was once. You heard how it was once. Oh, right? yeah. <laughs> it's always once. <laughs> so the idea that he's sending you completely, he's sending you to this, this death thing fading away. Yeah, there seems to be some glory in it. But again, when we talk about how he says it's a mystery, right? Yeah. By a mystery, this is a woman who's also a mountain and she's in bondage and her children are in bondage. Um, it's, it's obsolete. It's rendered obsolete. Hebrews talks about the, the old law, uh, the ceremonial stuff, all these things that were pointing forward to the cross. Now that the cross is here are obsolete. Yeah. Just like a flyer for a concert is no longer needed once the concert has happened. Right. Um, and so now we're pointing back to it. Now we get video of the concert, right? We can, yeah. we've got the, yeah. the, uh, hang the flyer up as a memento. Bootlegs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You keep the flyer and you look at the flyer, but you remember that this is no longer, the promised thing, it already came. And I think that's really important news for a guy who hasn't had his moment at the cross. Mm. Yeah. It's going to be still important later. And and what I think is going to be fascinating, not to get ahead of ourselves, is when later on, this old man that comes to Faithful's house with the property as the law is going to be chasing him down later uh, after Mm -hmm. he's been to the cross. Right. That's going to be an interesting discussion. But at this point... When he looks at that mountain, yes, it's frightening when you try to climb it, but there's no need to try to climb it. It's there as almost, again, a memento to to remind us how God did make these promises before. Yes. And yeah. God did give types and shadows before. Mm-hmm. It didn't come out of nowhere. It was promised for millennia before Christ came, but now Christ has come. Mm-hmm. So put that light in your eye. Don't go to the left or right and go to the gate, through the gate, Follow the, the very simple instructions to the, the foot of the cross, right. and there you'll be relieved of, of your burden. It's interesting, and I wonder if it's starting to click for him a bit, that all these people's warnings about what's going to come, and they list, you know, dragons and death and uh, it, all of these horrible, terrible uh, things that are going to come to him, and yet the biggest danger to him by far is them. Right. You know, uh, uh, they're always pointing outward and saying, these things out here, these things out here are going to get you. Yeah. Go a safer way. Yeah. You're wherever you go. You're the most dangerous thing that could happen to me right now. Yeah. So these guys together, uh, Mr. Worldly Wiseman, Mr. Legality and his sensibility offer nothing but a plot to try and rob you of your salvation. Yeah. Second Corinthians 11, three, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Yeah. That the, the enemy is there as the Apollyon standing mm-hmm. in your way, holding a, you know, a fiery sword, frightening you. But the enemy is also from the beginning, a serpent saying, yeah. Did God truly say, and trying to deceive you with just take a bite. This is actually good. Yeah. Just just move here and call for your family. This is a nice place. Yeah. Don't focus on the negative. You know what, Mr. Sagacity? That's stinking thinking is what that is. Stinking thinking. <laughs> <laughs> so at the end of the chapter, we go back to the city of destruction uh, after we've seen victory over this side venture uh, on Christian's part. He's repented and he's still on the road toward the cross. Evangelist is at his side. Hmm. And... Now we're back on the outskirts of the city of destruction. This, again, my own contribution. Because this was something Derek Thomas brought up, that he thinks faithful is uh, an Anglican, right? Right. And, and so that kind of informs a little bit of how he has a different a different struggle. Uh, it, it certainly, even though he was thrown in prison by uh, the, the Church of England, Bunyan was a very wide-tent Christian. He's a Baptist in the true original sense of the term. One of my favorite Baptists. I really love him. Mm. And 
he had this notion that this guy's going to truly be on the way, but it'll look different for him. And for example, some things that were hard for Christian are easier for him and vice yeah. versa. Yeah. And, and so we go back there and we find that he, he thinks he's far enough out away from the heart of the city that even if judgment comes, he probably will be okay. Maybe some of his crops will be singed or maybe, maybe he's a blacksmith in our, in our tale. He doesn't have any crops, but maybe like an outbuilding or two, but he'll be okay. Yeah. The notion that I'm, maybe I don't need to fully repent. I, my life is kind of good enough, even inwardly, not just the outside, but inwardly, I, I'm a good guy looking for good things to happen to people. I'm the one who got between pliable and the mob when no one else would. Hmm. I, you know, I, I find myself having compassion on people. I find myself standing up for people. And so when judgment comes, I might not be, you know, front and center with the 12 apostles, but I'm not going to be excluded. Yeah. And someone's got to come and, and disabuse him of this notion. And that someone is an old man with a glowing face. Yeah. Uh, I just read the, the, yeah, how he's, you couldn't even look at this guy in the face. He put a veil. He was masking up before it was popular, Moses. Yeah, yeah that's to, what he was to doing. To cover his <laughs> like, glowing face after he'd been with God. Uh, so he shows up in the dead of night and tells him, if you do not leave, I will burn your house down over your head. This has been called anti-Semitic. Hmm. You're presenting Moses... Uh, here in, in, you know, this is mostly my imagination from one sentence into a whole scene, but you have this, the scene very well described of Moses chasing him down and going to kill him. I don't know how to show mercy. We'll get to that later. First of all, it's an allegory. This isn't Moses. Yeah. This is a man in allegorical fashion embodying the law. Obviously Moses is the person who's going to embody the law. Absolutely. Even someone who doesn't know the Bible at all could probably tell you that. Uh, he arrives and he is doing exactly what the law should do here. He is as a schoolmaster, but as a very harsh schoolmaster. Yeah. And that is what, when you hear tutor in like the NIV and you think of like, like a cool older teenage girl that helped you with math when you were nine and, and she, you know, this isn't from my life, but she smelled nice. This is an nice. interesting look. <laughs> yeah. I know why. I actually never had a tutor, but uh, my, my wife. Too smart is what he was. <laughs> my wife tutored some kids when she was in high school. Like she was undoubtedly very nice, you know, probably brought them gifts or whatever, you know, a very, just a kind person. And when Paul says the law was a, a schoolmaster or tutor, even thinking about some, you know, a cool older kid who comes by, this is someone right. who's like, at the very least, whacking your knuckles with a yardstick. I sure. mean, this is a the law as an uppercut to the gut and a shove to the foot of the cross. Hmm. That's the role of the law. That's what it's there for. And so Moses is going to, he's not going to let him slide. He's not going to say, okay, fine, you can stay here. You're far enough out. Yeah. No, I will burn your house down. I've got the document that says I can do it. Yeah. This, this is all legal if you're here. And in doing that, that is a loving act. Because it sets him out finally right. on pilgrimage when he had decided that maybe he really didn't, after all, need to go. Mm. It, it, what what nicer thing could he have done? Granted, I mean, again, like Spurgeon, Moses seems a bit grumpy. I'm sure he had kind eyes uh. when he smiled as well. But, you know, when you come, he's smashing the original Ten Commandment tablets. Yeah. He's making people drink shaved gold. He's smacking rocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, you have to deal with all these. Anyone in that leadership position is going to get, you know, kind of jaded and and start to uh, maybe get grumpy and, and dislike people in general. But here he is doing what he needs to do, even if he's not doing it with kid gloves on. He yeah. can't do it with kid gloves on. He's got to come and he's got to push faithful with finality on his way. Mm. And it works. He he immediately leaves. Uh, we'll, we'll start the next chapter with him uh, gathering together his things. Uh, do I have time to even go and look for my sword out in the dark? Probably not. Right. I've got to go. I've got to go. I'm going to catch up to Christian and we're going to walk this pilgrim road. Uh, I think that this looks like Someone who has tried the very superficial stuff, putting their shopping cart back, you know, going on next door and saying, whose who's driveway should I shovel? Right. That's a good thing to do. A Christian ought to do that. Absolutely. Yes. Because Jesus would have us do that. But you find it's still empty. It only works for a while and then your sin is still there. The broken law is still in your heart. And eventually, if you seek him... That law will, you, basically, this is the Sermon on the Mount, right? Hmm. 
Mm. You see yes. what I'm saying with that? Yes. So yeah, I think in the Sermon on the Mount, a lot of what Jesus lays out and pictures perfectly is the example that uh, inside of you, all of it is impossible. He gives you something that you think maybe potentially down the road, if you work on it hard enough, I can do. Or even easy stuff, like don't kill. Right, 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 right. Easy. I haven't done that. And, 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 and if I leave it there, I can walk away encouraged and I can pat myself on the back and just remind myself every day that I wake up not to kill anybody or and not to steal something. If, so, to, if an evangelist asks me, yes. you think you're going to heaven? I'll say, I haven't killed anybody. I haven't killed anybody. I haven't robbed any banks. And then he turns it around on you and says, but if you've been angry with somebody or I, you've harbored anger yeah, in your heart uh, yeah, yeah, against you, your brother. Yeah. yeah. You've now killed that person where suddenly everything that he's saying becomes totally impossible. And you're left at the end of that, uh, like the disciples, it, how is any of this possible? Where is any of this possible? Um, and, and, and Jesus's go-to answer is seemingly always, that's the right question. It's impossible inside of yourself. And it's only possible through me. That's one of the most humbling parts of Jesus's ministry is when you get into how complicated the law actually is. Not just saying, oh, I understand it. Oh, I can keep this. Oh, I can do this. But when you get down to, and if I fail at one of these areas and instantly you'll have something in your head and now I'm guilty of all of yeah, it. Like James says, if you break the, the smallest one. aspect of it, you may as well, in, in from a point of view of... Uh, earning salvation, yeah. have broken all of them. Uh, and you mentioned earlier uh, the the idea of holding up the law as a mirror, yeah. which just seems to be what Jesus does with it consistently. That's his use of it. You know, there's there's guys who, that's their, you know, kind of street evangelism method. Just uh, walk up. I've tried this before in the past and had success with it, uh, where you walk up with one guy holding the video camera mm. and, and I got a right. microphone. Right. Even now, I think where everyone's videotaping things all the time, if someone looks a little official, People crave that. They'll talk to you. They'll talk to you about themselves. Right. Uh, and you ask, you know, have you broken the Ten Commandments? If, if someone kind of implies, yeah, I, I, I think I'll be okay at the end of my life because I've done more good than bad. I've tried to keep the Ten Commandments. Right, the scales. You, you say, oh, you think about it in general, mm. that mountain, and it makes you feel good. Right. Let's zoom in on each one. Have you ever done this? You say, yes. Have you ever taken God's name in vain? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Have you ever killed anyone? Well, no, 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 I'm good. Yeah. What if I told you that Jesus says, if you hate your brother in your heart, then you've killed him in God's eyes. Have you ever committed adultery? Um, not technically. Yeah. Okay. Well, what if I say that Jesus is even looking upon a woman with lust? Have you been a teenager? Yeah. Have you been? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jesus was a teenager without that, but only right, him. Right. And, and at the end of the day, you can show them with that mirror, just holding it up to them. And that is that second use of the law, the primary use of the law. This is what Moses is going to, is, is you know, this is a very... This is where the allegory kind of goes a little bit leaping crazy. But but this is the picture of it's not going to let you sit comfortably in your house on the outskirts of town or on the edge of town. You will either have to go into town and say, okay, fine, I will be destroyed. Or you're going to have to leave your old life behind and get on that narrow path and start walking the pilgrim way. There's no middle ground with Jesus. If you are lukewarm, he will spit you out of his mouth. Well, and... and for faithful, then, it seems that it's not enough for someone like John to come through and just preach that the kingdom is at hand, right? Repent, be baptized. Um, it's not enough for that. He needs to have that actual image in front of him. He needs to actually have the law laid out in front of him, where some people, it seems that they like respond to that immediately. You know, you know, you, you know, like, so like, like evangelist comes in and he asks them, what's the point in me staying here? We've gone over the same texts over and over again, and I've told you what you need to do. You need to flee the destruction that's coming. You know, that's that's this repeated message I mean, really throughout all of the Bible, I think, when you get down to it. But especially early on in the Gospels, that's the John the Baptist message, given, right? right? Flee, who, flee. Yeah. Uh, and that's not enough. I'm still going to sit here. Oh, I have this growing ache and pain and work's becoming harder and uh, the things I used to love and, 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 you know, find genuine joy in have become harder. But if you're just here to tell me again, run, you know, flee this sin that's not good enough for me, or it's not going to spur me into any kind of real action. And then it takes the actual, okay, well then here comes, you know, the Sermon on the Mount moment where who you really are is going to be shown to you mm -hmm. and why you need to run, because this is the standard for perfection. Unless you meet this standard, you're not going to be the, 
one who Abraham's begging for on a hill. What if there's only one righteous person in this entire town? It's not going to be faithful. Right. It's not going to be you. It's not going to be me. Right. You know? <laughs> the only one who would have made the cut there yeah. died on the cross for you. Mm -hmm. I think with that, we will uh, close this digression up. Until next time, stay on the narrow way. Thanks for listening. To support the Pilgrim's Progress podcast and for additional content and perks, visit patreon.com slash pilgrimsprogress. And make sure you don't miss a beat by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. Produced by Brad Atchison and Zachary Bartles. This recording, copyright 2022, high and silver, all rights reserved. Theme music licensed from pond5.com. Scripture quotations are from the ESV Bible, the Holy Bible English Standard Version, copyright 2001 by Crossway, used by permission. And silver. Cut. 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 Cut.